In a world where magic is everywhere, monsters are real, and inhibitions are non-existent, Atlantis is the most coveted destination, and pirates make all the rules. That's right. The Dangerous Tides Kickstarter is live. We're bringing you six brand new books from authors like Katie Robert and C.M. Nascosta. These ultra-spicy fantasy books feature sirens, kidnappings, aliens, disguises, monsters, sex magic, second chances, and so much more that can't be mentioned in polite company. They combine otherworldly adventure with sweeping romance in a way that will keep your heart racing from start to finish. By backing the Kickstarter, you can read these books this month. Of course, we've also got foiled special editions with sprayed edges in hardback and paperback, gorgeous art, and swag, which you'll have in your hands this fall. The Kickstarter will be over in the blink of an eye, so don't miss it. This is the only place you can get these special editions and swag, not to mention getting the ebooks five months earlier than they're available to anyone else. This is your invitation to unlock the secrets of Atlantis. So click the link in the show notes and enter at your own risk. Welcome to Bonkers Romance, the podcast that celebrates authors who really go there. I'm Melody Carlisle. And I'm Jenny Nordback. And this week, we are joined by Sierra fucking Simone (laughs) to recap Ensnared by Tiffany Roberts. Ooh, we're so excited. Hi. Hello. (gasps) Sierra motherfucking Simone. Okay, I just need to say out loud in front of listener, I'm sorry I waited until now, but I have been very quietly keeping my shit together over here because I have wanted to meet you like since I started reading romance professionally. Like this is huge for me and I'm sorry if that's weird for you. I just had to say it. Hi. I'm just realizing the first time that Mel and I did an episode together, we recapped Priest. Oh, it was your book. (laughs) That's amazing. And also I feel like you should lower your expectations. What if I disappoint you now? What if like we finish recording this and you're like, that was, I am so disappointed. All of her books are ruined for me because she's such a like dull conversationalist. Nope, not going to happen. Not going to yeah, happen. Yeah, except we've already heard you speak on yeah. <laughs> multiple other episodes. You don't think I've listened to every podcast you've been on? I'm a creep, Sierra. I like creeps. You can join me. I live in her bushes outside yeah. and I appear yeah. through her window and tap occasionally asking if the next book is creeps done. Creeps are on my like, they're on my happy place on the Simone scale. I like it. I like it. <laughs> This is consensual creeping. Oh, that makes me feel so good. So I love that my my text to be like, hey, we're starting a new podcast. Here's the premise. And as you are the poster child for like goes for it and shows us yeah. that our hard limits aren't really hard limits. <laughs> Clearly, like you said, yes. And you came on. But that kind of triggered the, the like, what the fuck does Sierra Simone think is bonkers? Like, right? what? 
what has to happen in your brain for you to be like, they went for it? Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay. So I've been thinking about this because I don't know if you guys watch a show called Ted Lasso, but uh, on Ted Lasso, there's this part where he says, I'm going to define that uh, the same way that, you know, Supreme Court justice defined pornography. And that's, you know, it when you see it. (laughs) And I think there was a part of me that felt like, uh, you know, that's, that's bonkers, right? Like, you know, when people say bonkers, you know what they mean. But that's not actually true, I don't think, because I was giving a workshop for RWA about writing erotic romance. And I was giving different examples and kind of like, you know, trying to describe different erotic romance writers that I feel like are very sort of seminal that students could go look at to kind of see what they're doing. And for some of them, I would describe what they did in erotic romance as bonkers or banana balls. I think I used the word banana balls. And uh, (laughs) someone in the class was like, what is what's banana balls? Like, can you can you describe can you define that for me? And I was like, no, (laughs) like, it's just (laughs) Banana balls. I don't know if it opens with Jafar chasing Jasmine, like to the floor, that's banana balls. Like, but then it made me realize that not everyone shares the same, you know, definition of bonkers or bananas that I have in my head. That's one of the things I thought I I was so excited about this podcast, because like, asking somebody what their catnip is, is one thing, but like, knowing what is bonkers to each person, I think really gives you like a look into their soul. (laughs) that you wouldn't get otherwise. Yes, I agree. And I was thinking about this because I was like, it's something more than just a premise, but the premise is a huge part of it. And so I think it's kind of like a two-part answer, I would say. So the first thing is that I think there has to be some fearlessness in the premise. And whether that's, you know, really kind of exploring the boundaries of, of what, ta- you know, what's taboo in romance or these sort of liminal spaces as a society uh, that we have decided, you know, we don't like this or, you know, this is kind of verboten. It's a, it's a courage and sort of saying, well, I want to write it anyway. You know, uh, yeah. Nikki Sloan once told me that she re- like kind of woke up one day and was like, I want to be grown-up V.C. Andrews. Like, I want to write... <laughs> like, I want to write the grown-up version of a V.C. Andrews book. I love that. And I think that the, it takes a little bit of, like, creative fearlessness to be like, and I'm going to do it. And the only reason I want to do it is because I want to do it. Like, I don't have some deep uh, vision and mission, you know, to, like, write this book where the, you know father-in-law is super hot and sexy like it's like I just want to do it and so I think it takes some boldness to kind of step forward with a premise like that but then I think that the second part of a bonkers romance is the promise of the premise is follow through because I know that I've picked up books before yes where I read the blurb and I was like all right give me I don't know lizard captive romance and then you get in there and the lizard uh doesn't actually even take anyone captive or you know (laughs) (laughs) or the lizard shifts into a human for part of it or something. And then you're sort of like, Oh, like this isn't what I, I feel like, you know, I kind of got like the Aldi brand. uh, (laughs) 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 Um, And so I think that a real bonkers romance doesn't just have fearlessness in the premise, but the author doesn't shy away 
from the like terrifying thing that they signed up to write, you know, like they never sort of retcon their own story to be safer. Yes. Do you know it when you're writing it? Like, can you feel when you're leaning into it and you have to push yourself through it to like really follow through exactly like you're saying? Uh, yes. And I like, I know this struggle so well, because I think that, uh, the call of timidity is very strong. Like I can sometimes feel that temptation to take a safer path because I'm just, you know, you're very aware that it's not going to be for everyone. And not only is it not going to be for everyone in the same way that, I don't know, like a small town romance might not be for everyone. But some people are going to say, you're a bad person for writing this. <laughs> <laughs> sure. and, and that's a different kind of anxiety, right? Like, even if you're doing your best to sort of situate something that's taboo or forbidden inside of a moral network, uh, it's kind of scary to think someone's going to say you didn't do a good enough job. And then, and I'm only telling this to you guys because I trust you. <gasps> yeah. There are times that I don't want to situate like a taboo thing in a moral network. Like sometimes I kind of want it to stay immoral uh, because I think that some stories, when you open them up and you start reading, you know, and the author knows, everyone knows that you've stepped over a threshold. And in that threshold, uh, just past it, you're inside of a contained alternate universe, right? Like where you can have moral flexibility, where you can try on different scenarios that you would never do in real life. You know, like I would never recommend that anyone actually date a sociopath who only keeps you around to play chess games. But in a book, run, run, in case anybody's wondering. (laughs) (laughs) But in in that book, you're in this sort of like moral holodeck, right? Like where you can just act out these scenarios. And so sometimes like I don't even want to make it moral or like emotionally justifiable. I just want to like explore, you know, like I just want to get on the roller coaster and see where it takes me. That makes sense to me. I've been grappling with this a lot recently, like just in the last week or two. And I know we need to get to the book, but that's that like some fantasies are inherently problematic and they're allowed to be. And I think a book is a healthy way to explore a problematic fantasy because you're not you shouldn't act your fantasy out in a way that's problematic or hurtful to people but a book can be uh, you know it's it's like porn or going to a dungeon or whatever like it is a fantasy space absolutely but then i understand that people are like well you can't market it as a romance if it's that and it's like well where it gets really fuzzy for me because i will defend people's right to have problematic fantasies like i yeah i've seen it too many most people do Yeah. And fiction, I feel like can be the ultimate safe space. So I don't know, I think I think it's a place where you can sort of go buck wild and see what it does to you see where where what happens. (laughs) Can I just say that this is why I'm really excited that you guys are doing this podcast, because one of the things I think that has changed in reading and like being a being in the reading community is that it used to be 
uh, back in the day that a lot of your conversations about books happen in person or over the phone, um, where you could sort of hash things out. You could be like, you know, well, I didn't like the part where he scooped her up on a horseback and, you know, took her off to his castle. And the other person could be like, I thought it was fun. And you could have that conversation with nuance, you know, and kind of at length, uh, and really sort of explore the caveats and conditions. What's amazing about the internet is that it brings so many readers together who you might not have never found that share some specific loves that you do. But also, I think sometimes you can get a little bit of context collapse because, you know, no one's going to spend an hour typing a comment on Facebook. I mean, I might because I overthink, but (laughs) (laughs) that's this guy, you know. So I feel you. I'm there. But for the most part, we're we're communicating in a very flattened uh, way about things. And when we communicate in flattened ways, sometimes statements come out as unequivocal, you know, or things sure. sound like you should never do this, you should always do this. And so sometimes that uh, that paradigm, I think, can lead to this feeling of like, oh, I can't like this, or I can't write this. Yeah. Um, and when I'm talking about these kind of things, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the taboo scale I made, the Simone scale. Yes. <laughs> so I am never uh, talking about anything in the no-no corner. That's like, you know, the like right. Hitler corner. <laughs> like, <Yes. laughs> I'm never talking about anything about that. But all the other things, uh, you know, serial killer romances yeah. or, um, you know, I'm on a prison planet and I have to find, you know, the most dangerous prisoner here and, you know, make him protect me. Those kind of things that um, I have seen people say, well, this is never okay. These power dynamics are never okay to explore and fiction. I think that that's the kind of conversation that would be a lot more uh, nuanced and fun if we were using our mouth words instead of our finger words. Totally. So I'm all for like the mouth word discussions of (laughs) Bonkers books. (laughs) So that leads us into you, you know, we've we've said what's bonkers to you and you were given the prompt to like pick a bonkers book for us to recap. And I'm really mad I wasn't the one who got to read it. I'm elated. And I'm immediately going to go and rectify that. I had to force (laughs) myself not to. Tell us what the book is. So I chose Ensnared by Tiffany Roberts. And uh, it's, uh, so like I said, I don't actually have a whole lot of things that I would never say no to, right? The stuff in the no-no corner, of course. But a lot of other things, I'm very open to being convinced, you know? Yeah. And so when I saw, I think it was on her TikTok, Katie Robert recommended Ensnared. And she, you know, on TikTok where you like hold up the cover sort yeah, of yeah, yeah. like, but it's not really, you're like sort of, you know, stitching the the cover onto there and I saw that it had a legit spider <laughs> on uh-huh. there and then like a, a heroine like sort of in his grasp and I was like no no and, like <laughs> swipe like I'm gonna I'm gonna go watch another story like this is just not for me um and then like after watching two more stories I like went back <laughs> and then I, and I actually like listened yeah I actually listened to what she said and Katie was like oh it's you know he's just this like really sensitive spider soul who just really loves all of her soft parts and I was like no 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 so I like you know back back to the other stories I was watching about like I don't know puppies or something and then like three stories later I like went back and then I was like fine so I went and I found it on Amazon and even as I was downloading it, I was like, there's just no way. I love alien romance, but all the alien romances I've read have been like 
purring Humanoid. blue people or something. Yeah, they're they're like mammals, right? Sure, sure, and sure. So I was like, spiders aren't. They can't be sexy. They, they are. have so many legs. They are. They're so sexy. <laughs> oh no. Oh, and, no. Uh, and then I started reading it, and the first, I mean, we'll get into this when we talk about the plot, but the first 10% of the book is, like, spider court politics. Yes. And <laughs> and actually, it was really perfect into luring me in to into this story and into this world. Um, and then by the end, so I ended up reading the book. I was like, oh, it's probably going to take me, like, two weeks to get through this book, because I'm going to have to stop every so often because, sure. you know, spider, like, carapaces I don't know exoskeletons <laughs> and then I read it in like eight hours and yeah. <laughs> and that was like eight work hours where I was supposed to be doing other things and like going to the grocery store like reading in the line at the grocery store and by the end of it I was like god damn I was wrong I really love this spider spiders are sexy spiders are this hot. is one of the best books I read it's all about year time other people join me on this bandwagon I thought spiders were sexy when I read about Shelob in Lord of the Rings when I was in, like, fucking junior high. And then, like, the spiders in Harry Potter, they're, like, giant creatures, and they have, like, built-in bondage capacity, and then they they can, like, paralyze you. Like, this just feeds my non-con fantasies. Like, give me paralyzed in a spider web but sexy. You know how Sierra just talked about following through on the premise? <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany Roberts! Wow! Um, <laughs> boy! There is spider silk bondage, yes. <laughs> if anyone was wondering, they do it. There's spider shibari! But, but Jenny, yeah. just for you and me, our friendship, I do need to point out to you just real quick that you did just spider hipster yourself. How? You were like, what did I do? I, oh, I, I like spiders before spiders they were cool. Before everybody else was in No, it's more like I've been saying this is hot for so long, and everybody is like, you, there is something fucking wrong with you. And Look, it, it's such like a hard line for people. I'm a spider like hipster. But people are so like upset it. by it. And the number of times I've tried to gently be like, yeah, like, isn't this, isn't this kind of hot? And people are like, no, this is not okay. Like, what? Even in like, the dungeon BDSM space, if I brought it up, people really? were like, you are, no. Ugh. And like, that's a space where you can say anything. So spiders are like <laughs> polarizing, polarizing in the way that like incest wow. is polarizing. Like it's a hard, hard line. So the idea wow. that anybody is joining me on this side of the line is like, yeah, come to the dark Incredible. side. Vindicated. Vindicated at last. Yeah. You've got a book that you can just shove at people and they yeah. will be convinced. Yeah. I'm certain yeah. of it. All right. Tell me about the book. I'm I'm so excited. Okay. okay. So yeah, the first three chapters are like spider intrigue, court politics. The queen is a bad one. And she is like, I don't, well, we don't have time to like get into all the beats of this storyline. So just to download you on the intel, the queen is really dominant and cruel and awful. And she wages wars because she's greedy and just wants things for herself and doesn't care about the collateral damage. And she wants to fuck our hero so badly. She wants him for her own. He has been 
hard knowing her for seven years and she's still like you're the only male that could possibly even come close to being my equal and he is not into it and so like every time he visits home all the other spiders are like hey bra you either need to not be here or like be her mate because otherwise you're just gonna get murdered (laughs) like it's just you're just gonna get murdered So yeah, they're doing an offering. They're doing a monthly offering to their eight gods. And Sierra, what did you think about the world building in the first three chapters? Because I felt like the language about, you know, the the eightfold eyes and the heart strings and the, like, everything was so good. It was so good. So I think for people who like a really rich world building, like, this had a really cohesive, almost fantasy-esque world building. Although I guess this would technically be sci-fi. But the first... 20% of the book reads like a fantasy novel in a way. And so all the world building is really uh, through the lens of spider biology in a way. So like eight is a number that's referenced a lot. The gods are called the eight. And then, yeah, the heart's thread is sort of this idea of your love and affection and the ties that bind, right? So everything kind of relates back to weaving uh, and to spider biology. And then I had to look this up. But in the real life, non-sexy spiders also have the situation where female spiders are bigger than male spiders. Yes. So the sexy spiders are this way too. So all of the female spiders, including the queen, are like 50% taller than the male spiders. I mean, they're so big. And there's really a sense of uh, toxic matriarchy in this society, right? So like... There have been uh, famous male spiders throughout history. Their people are called the Vricks. And there have been famous male Vricks through history. And their images have been struck from the walls. Their statues have been defaced. All of the queen's guards are women. They're called Mm -hmm. the fangs or females, I should say. And so there is a real sense that there is something poisonous about this matriarchy and how and how it's kind of unfolded for this people. Yeah, it's really, really good. So once he leaves Takaral, I think it's called, that's the underground city, he goes back because everybody lives in Takaral. And he grew up there. But after there was this big giant war where, you know, he was sort of taken from what should have been his life as a peaceful weaver and turned into this like, you know, super, like almost like a super soldier. He just ended up being really, really good at hunting and murdering. But they waged this war out in what they called the Tangle, which is basically like a giant spider Amazon jungle situation. So he now lives in the Tangle and he has to go home because he just like, he can't deal with like being in Takaral anymore. And he's got big, like, haunted war vet energy. Like, he's definitely, like, haunted by the war. And he sees the queen, Zervashi, as, like, the reason, right? Like, she is sort of the engine of all of his pain and loss. Right. Absolutely. Because he lost all of his siblings and all of that. So he goes out to the tangle and he's trying to hunt. And there's, like, all these beasties that are around. And then all of a sudden a herd of other beasties come over and they stand on his branch and there's too much weight because they don't see him there. He's so, Jenny, he's like, he's such a slinky man. 
he slinks so well. And so these beasties don't see him. And there's too much weight and kerplout. Oh, no. He falls into this big, giant crater. It's this giant crater where, like, the jungle has not even grown over it. It's supposed to be, like, haunted. And there are these stories about an invader that the eight fought in a fiery battle, like, into this hole. So he falls and falls and falls. Because of a series of events, he does not die. And when he gets down there, he discovers what we know to be a crashed spaceship. Oh, But he is delightfully and, like, prehistorically intrigued by this mystery, and it's wonderful. (laughs) So he goes in, he walks around, like, all the wreckage and everything, and eventually he comes upon this room where there are eight nice Tiffany Roberts, thank you, there are eight alive humans that are in cryo chambers in like stasis pods oh i love this device (laughs) i know and so as he's like looking around he goes over to the eighth pod and he's like hmm i wonder what's happening oh and he accidentally hits a button and the button goes oh here comes the sexy human oh we're opening now like and then we learn (laughs) we learn that um like there's only there was a dance move to go with that for anybody who does not have access to the video right now (laughs) yeah so it opens and then (sighs) this spider okay sierra did you love his breast obsession Yeah, so, like, he basically, he sees this human, and I should say, so there's a big language barrier between them that becomes, like, a kind of a plot point as they learn to trust each other. Uh, The author does this really great thing that they also do in Ice Planet Barbarians, where they phonetically spell out the words, so the reader can kind of read along and understand what's being said, but Catan, the spider hero, has no idea, like, what they're being said, but we know, oh, there's only like two years left on these cryopods and the ship doesn't know where it is like the navigation doesn't work and the emergency transmitter is broken so you kind of already know that like these humans and these pods are gonna die regardless so he opens up this pod and he's like she's so soft and there's a description in there where he looks at her mouth her lips and he's like they look like two plump larvae But then, like, immediately he's, like, she has these round things, like, on her chest. Her chest mounds. Her chest mounds. And Rick's women don't have these. And so he's immediately, like, squish. He does a hog on her, Jenny. He hogs her. (laughs) What else are you supposed to do if you've never seen a booby before? Listen. I know. They're magical. Yeah. I was not mad. I was like, this is the right thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, is she moment, awake at that point? No. She's totally, okay. she is still sort of like coming out of stasis. So she does not know that she's being honked. And to his credit, <laughs> he doesn't know that breasts are sexual. Mm-hmm. Correct. So to him, it's sort of like, you know, a shoulder or something. Right. Yeah. Hey, listener. In August, members of the Temple of Defiant Joy can look forward to lots of new bonus content, including more levels of the Monster Dungeon books and Jenny losing her mind over an escort movie. She should have fucked his dad. We've got three different art pieces in the works, and Joybringers now get access to the digital art. Celebrants will still receive prints in addition to digital access. 
August Bonkers Book Club includes Caught a Vibe by Eva Moore, a forced proximity romance between a sex toy designer and the hot tech writer who was the best one-night stand of her life. It has a sex toy right there on the cover, which honestly is the cartoon cover I've been waiting for. It doesn't come out until August 30th, but you can get your hands on it right now if you're a member of the temple. The other September book is a bundle of the first three books in Kit Rocha's Beyond series. It's a dystopian erotic romance series that will blow your mind. It's gritty and high stakes, but with lots of magnificent kink and polyamory. Now, back to the episode. So he picks her up and he's like, oh, God, I guess this is mine now. And he literally, (laughs) for the first, like, third of the book, he's literally like, other Vricks have pets. Why can't I have a pet? Like, (laughs) this is is my kitten now. Excellent. (laughs) So he takes her out and he binds her up with all of his booty threads. And then on the way home, she wakes up a tiny bit and she's obviously, like, super freaked out. And she tries to get away from him, and it attracts this predator, and so he's, like, trying to tell her to be quiet, but instead she, like, screams out loud, and the sonic boom of her shriek makes the predator (laughs) run away because nobody makes sounds like this on this planet. Anyway, he takes her up to his penthouse den that I need to talk about for seven hours. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) It's like the treehouse in uh, Swiss Family Robinson, yes! but like made of silk, <laughs> silk <laughs> like other trees. <sighs> yeah. So he takes her in there. She's like, don't eat me. Don't eat me. Oh, my God. She's like sobbing. Like he, she's having a rough time over there. And then eventually, like we skip ahead. He's very gentle with her and he's trying to get her to eat things. And, you know, she doesn't know what the hell to do. And eventually, like, they're able to say enough to each other. You know, they go through the whole, like, me, Ivy, you, Ketan situation. (laughs) Um, And she figures out that what he's saying is, like, Ketan, no, eat, Ivy. (laughs) (laughs) Do we get her POV and his POV? Like, are we alternating? Okay. Yeah, it's really fun. So how do we get from I'm not going to eat you to I would like to put my spider penis inside of you? Oh, okay. Don't worry. (laughs) I was going to say, we forgot to talk about this when we talked about the queen. But spider males, the Vricks, are very sensitive to scents. And so this is one of the problems with the queen who wants to make Catan is that whenever she sees him, she emits this super powerful mating scent that's almost impossible for him to resist. But he does because he hates her so much that he won't give her the satisfaction. She attacks him with pheromones. Yes. That's a pretty nice superpower. So then what happens is that whenever Ivy's scent gets interesting... Then Catan reacts in this super visceral way. So after they establish that, like, Catan, no, eat Ivy. Uh, and then at one point, Ivy's like, Ivy, no, eat Catan. He's like, you're so adorable. <laughs> They're really, the banter um, in this book is shockingly good. Like, they joke together and it's funny. It is funny and cute. So cute. So one morning she wakes up and she's like, I, I I have to go outside. I have to go outside. I have to go outside. Because it's the first time since the cryo chamber that she needs to pee. And he's like, I need to go to sleep. Like, I can't even. And 
she all of a sudden pees herself. She pees all over herself. She pees all over the the fur underneath her. And so he's like, he gets all huffy about it. And she's like, don't you get huffy with me. You, you did this. Like, you're not allowed to chastise me like a puppy. I told you I had to go out. So when they're down at the stream, he like takes off her clothes because he's got to get all the pee out. But then as he's rubbing her down, he does go over her nipples and she does a bit of a, (gasps) and then he just starts inspecting her body and Jenny, he takes his upper arms because he has four arms, four arms and six legs, everyone. He takes his upper arms and he, he holds Holds her her wrists as far out as they will go. And then with his lower arms, he's just tweaking nipples. He's doing those radio (laughs) dials on her. He's going all the way down. He's smelling her up. And then she's like, make this very potent scent to him. As one does in that situation. (laughs) As one has to, you know? And then he, he looks her clit right in the face. Like he gets in there. Doesn't well, actually touch her. And he really does not know what's going on. No. Like, he is, like, touching her nipples because they get hard. And he's like, why? Like, they were soft a minute ago. Now they're hard. Like, he's almost like a scientist. Yeah. About, like, <laughs> what, what happened? And so then when he goes down to, like, stare her clit in the face, he's trying to follow the scent. He's like, God damn it. I knew I smelled yeah. something the other night. Like, and it's coming from between your legs. And she's like... Like she's kind, she's into it. Like she's feeling into it, but her brain is like, "This is weird. What, what should I do?" This is wrong. This is wrong. Yeah. So he's like, "Hold still," and he's like pulling down <laughs> her pants to be like, "Where is the smell coming from?" And so when he <sighs> touches her clit and sees her react, then he's like, "Oh, that's her like female place, right?" And it's so different than a Brick's female place, which is like dry and hard. So he's like, "It's so soft and wet." And he he literally says like he literally says like in her slit because he's always talking about his own slit, Jenny. He's got a slit. And he's got claspers that cover oh, yes. the slit. And then he talks about his stem behind it, like pushing against his slit as it, you know, becomes excited about things. But he actually like he describes her whole vulva and like vaginal opening. And he's like, Oh my god, there's an opening there. What could I do with the opening? And but then she says, Ketan, no. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. So then she is scared and she says, Ketan, no. And he says that her scent changes very subtly. And then he's like, Oh my God, I've I have done something. And so he immediately lets go of her and she scrambles back and she's real upset with him. And he wants to fix it. And Jenny, what do you think is the only way to possibly fix a situation like this? I mean, I know what I think it should be. Yeah, but. <laughs> you have to put her on equal footing. You have to say, Ivy, oh. Ivy, explore Catan. Free reign, you Ivy. Check out my bits. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> and it's really sweet because at first she's like fucking pissed at him. But then as she goes like further and she starts like really touching him because and and so much of this book like skirts this non-con element that is like so good because she literally says, well, I know that you're not going to like let go of me until I touch you anyway. So like I may as well just touch you and get it over with. And that's how it starts. But then as you know, she starts touching up on him and he starts reacting and everything. And he's trying to stay so still because he's so turned on. And finally, she gets down to his slit region. And he's like, no, no, 
you can't, you can't, don't touch me there. And she's very like, you're a fucking hypocrite. (laughs) (laughs) But he doesn't want to be overtaken because male spiders have, what is it? The mating madness, mating fever, frenzy, maybe? A frenzy, yeah. That they, yeah. Once, once it's engaged, they are sort of like lost to themselves until the mating is completed. And I, we, I should also say that. So this male spider anatomy, he has a slit. Uh, you know, that's almost. It sounds like a a zipper yeah. in a way. You know, like it's sort of a a, a placket. Uh, and behind that is his like spider penis. And the claspers keep the slit closed until the mating frenzy takes over. And then the claspers are meant to hold your mate to you. Uh, (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) So there's a few times where they're up against each other for whatever reason. And his claspers come around her hips just out of instinct. Uh, and, and everyone loves you know, it. They can Everything sort of like I want little, it to be. Yes. Mm, it's so good. It's so it's good. It's so, 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 so good. So then we get sort of this, they're learning each other's language. They're, he's teaching her different skills and hunting and stuff. He has fully decided that she is his pet at this point. But he's starting to get a little bit weirded out because, like, other Vricks don't want to fuck their kittens. <laughs> and so he's really like, like, what is this? What am I doing? <laughs> it's, like, all taboo and delicious. And as this happens, they're really quick to learn each other's languages, thank goodness. And he starts seeing that even though she's, like, incredibly soft and fragile and all the things that humans are, especially when you're comparing them to exoskeleton warrior women that he's used to. He's noticing that her strength is in her determination. And he even notices strength in her kindness. Like when she gets frustrated, he loves that she doesn't react like the Queen Zervashi and like lash out and be cruel. She just like calms herself down and tries again. So it's really nice because you start seeing like in these tiny mundane, he's like introducing her to new fruit or she's trying to show him that like, you need to cook my meat. It's required. (laughs) Oh, he tries to feed her grubs at one point. (laughs) It doesn't go over well. (laughs) No. So, all right. What's the what's the next important thing that happens? I mean, they haven't boned yet. No, so can it's we a slow burn. The plot. It's a slow burn. It, it is kind of. It is but a slow burn. The- you don't. It it will be worth it. It is worth it, and I will say that it is actually really fascinating to see how the authors build trust yes. between Catan and Ivy over time. So there's like one scene where there's a terrible storm outside oh and the entire nest is shaking and like in a way that feels like they're about to plummet to their death, right. even though it's fine. And Catan's not worried, right? Like he's been in a thousand storms in his nest and he's not worried, but Ivy is very panicked. And so he, they do the like, you're scared at night. Let me cuddle you. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they both very quickly become aroused. Like they're both really horny. But Katan is like, Ivy, go sleep. You know, like he doesn't like necessarily push 
the issue. And she's almost like a little disappointed. Like I wanted him to touch me and he's not. Uh, And so they both kind of have a a horny sleep. You know, they sleep hornily after that. Uh And moments like that, I thought were so good at building tension and building trust between them, which I appreciated because the frenzy is really... I don't want to say non-consensual, but it's like, it's a runaway train. Yes. So by the time we get to their mating and to the frenzy, I had complete trust in Catan. And I, I'm a pretty adventurous reader, so I probably didn't need as many safety nets uh, sure. to get there. I probably would have been fine if there had been a frenzy at like 15%. Sure, sure, sure. But uh, <laughs> what I do love about this story is that I think it's the kind of romance that even people who don't particularly like Dubcon or who aren't very experienced in reading it could find very accessible because the author works so much on trust uh, between the two characters. Yeah. That is so interesting yeah. that that yeah. you've sort of set the frenzy up as being that intense. And then their first kind of encounter, even though it's innocent in a way, is sort of crossing a line. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. to back up from that and really build the trust with both the reader and the characters is a really great strategy that's cool it's beautifully done it is and i think it makes it a very open book like i think people who are like they're le- ready for like graduate level bonkers could enjoy but then also people who are maybe they don't ever read anything that sort of tests the limit i actually think that they would enjoy this book just as much because of the way the authors have built it which is really genius yeah completely mm. all right so as we go on um they're getting to know each other he is having to go back to Takaral once a month to make these offerings. We're now about mm, six weeks or so into their relationship. There's a lot of trust. There's a lot of of goodness. Like at one point, they're they're bathing in the stream, and she is totally over being nude around him. And he is sitting on a rock, and he's oiling himself. He's because o- he's a he's a centaur spider kind of situation. Yeah, so sort of like humanoid top. Yeah, okay, but okay. then full spider booty, and and uh, you know the forearms. He has like four. Uh, he has two sets of shoulders. Like that's the whole thing. But so he's rubbing on his hide, and it's right after he's had this interaction with Zervashi, where she's like, "You're going to mate me, and if you don't, I'll kill everyone you love." And she does like throw him across the room and stuff. So he's sore. His back is sore and he can't reach where he needs to go. And so she comes out of that stream and she like puts on a towel and then she's like, oh, I could, I could maybe rub some oil on, on your back. I would love to do that for you. And as this happens, she finds out that the queen wants to mate him and he doesn't want her. And she's still like jealous about it. She's like, I don't love that there's another like competitor even though she's not a competitor and then this is when she finally gets him to tell her about the ship and she's trying to convince him to take her to the ship to like see if there's any other survivors he flatly refuses and so she pitches a fit and she goes into the woods and he's like i i don't go far and she's like i'm just peeing but she's not she's pitching a fit And so she's like, you know what, even though I'm so mad at him, I'm going to go like pick mushrooms and be useful. And then she gets attacked by a velocitiger. Oh, that does not sound fun. It's complicated, you know, and it really comes out of nowhere for her. 
And so as this Velocitiger slashes her calf and then like misses though, and then Catan like comes out of the bushes and he uses, I cannot even Jenny. So he's fighting with this Velocitiger. And then he does reach back with a couple of his hind legs to his spinneret. And he he uses yes. his webs to dominate this Velocitiger before before cutting its throat out with his mandibles. Oh. His cheek mandibles. <laughs> wow. It's incredible. That is that is the kind of warrior spider you just need coming to the rescue. Thank you. He hogties a Velocitiger and then rips its throat out right in front of her. And she thinks it's just as hot as I did. Yeah. <laughs> because then he rushes over to her covered in blood, P.S., rushes over to her and he's like cradling her in his arms and he's like looking her all over and he's like, my ivy, my ivy, oh my God, I thought I was going to lose you, notices the cuts. And so, of course, he immediately goes into medic mode. He needs to tend her and care for her. Competence porn. He is a man of many skills. I can't even. I can't even. So... As this is happening, they're like, they're like sort of, you know, he's checking in on her and everything. And then he goes into the stream to, you know, wash all the blood off of him. And he comes back and he's just, he's trying to wash her off. And so he's washing her off and she, he gets to her breasts and she's like, oh, like, (laughs) and like sort of flinches away. And he's like, Ivy, did I hurt you? And she goes, no. You didn't hurt me. And she gets really embarrassed. And she's like, it didn't hurt. It felt too good. And he's like, he literally goes, help me understand. (laughs) Like, (laughs) (laughs) confounding female. What's happening? And then this is where he finds out that the nipples are an erogenous zone. And he's quietly intrigued because he is still building trust with her. And he's also still a little bit conflicted about her being a pet. So he does get over this, though, right? There's a couple of different things that happen. We don't super need to go into a lot of them. But he finally decides, like, no, she's my woman. At one point, talk about competence. She tells him about uh, human weddings and about how you wear a white dress and all of that. Do you want to take this, Sierra? (laughs) Oh, I... I th- okay, so I do think we should Please. say that uh, Catan's family is like a weaving family. Like he comes from a family of weavers and it's like a great family pride, right? But living out in the Tangle, he hasn't had much chance to weave the beautiful things that his family was known for when they lived back in Takaral. And so at one point, yes, Ivy tells him about human weddings and she mentions, oh, well, what a wedding is, is he sort of promised to be with each other uh, while the bride wears a white dress and he's like, what's a dress precious. And so she kind of describes, you know, what, what a dress is. And so then in secret, he weaves her this beautiful silk dress for her to wear. Oh my God. It's so great. It's so amazing. He weaves it and then he sews it into a dress and he says that he remembers he just sort of memorized how big her body is in comparison to oh, his yes. and creates this whole yes. pattern and makes her he tim guns this nonsense in a way that is so sexlent i don't even know what to do about it <laughs> so he comes back to the den and it took him longer because while he was there he did get low key assaulted by the queen you know she does another big she while she's like 
beating him up a little bit, she rips the dress. And so it takes longer for him to like fix it and stuff. Meanwhile, Ivy is back at the den and she's getting really worried. Sierra, should we fill Jenny in on Ivy's backstory just quickly? Yeah. So Ivy actually has like a really uh, impactful backstory, which is uh, when she was a human, she's from Wichita. So, you know, hashtag Kansas. (laughs) Uh, She grew up in a really conservative family and uh, ended up running away with a boyfriend when she was like 16 or 17 because, you know, she was in love with him. Her parents hated him, didn't want her to see him anymore but she knew she was in love with this guy and they run away and he, you know, it wants to take her virginity and then he wants to film it. And she's like, okay, like I, I love you and I trust you. And I no, left everything. She doesn't know about the filming at all. Oh, she doesn't know about the filming yet. It's all hidden cameras. And so after they have sex, he's like, I never want to see you again. That's all I wanted from you was this video basically uploads it everywhere she finds out that he live streamed it jenny that is horrifying and she has lost everything like she's homeless she's like living in her car like everything has gone wrong in her life and her parents have no mercy they're like we never want to see you again we don't have a daughter anymore you embarrassed us how dare you and that's why she ends up signing onto this mission of like you know going to colonize some planet because she has nothing left on earth like no family no friends, nothing. Yeah, like one of the reasons she was so afraid of the storm was because she was actually living in her car when a tornado came around. And so she's like, Mm. it's not just a fear of a storm. It's like super PTSD stuff because for the past like six years before she woke up, she was having to figure out life completely on her own, completely abandon everything. So she deserves a spider warrior man to protect her and make her dresses and do nice things for her. Absolutely. So she's waiting back at the den. And since he's taking so long, she also didn't really even know he was leaving. And she's starting to get really anxious about maybe him never coming back, like maybe something terrible happening to him with the queen or whatever. And so when he does come back, he presents her with this dress. He has fully decided that they're mates for the first time in his life. He wants a mate. And so he gifts her this dress and she puts it on in front of him. And, you know, she feels so special and so cared for. And then, boy, does he just come up behind her and start nuzzling on her neck? And, and oh, she's also ovulating. And so she's super smelly. We're having we're in like a super smelly mode and he hasn't been able to like hold himself back and he's finally like i have i got her the white dress it's now time to do a spider wedding and boy (laughs) we have got to talk i i think we need to redo things here on earth regarding weddings (laughs) sierra would you like tell me tell me would you like to explain the wedding You you go for it. You go for it. Because I feel like my mind blanks out Fair. until we get to the shibari. Fair. Okay. <laughs> so, holy fuckballs. So he's like nuzzling up on her and she's like, oh my God. And so his lower hands go down and they skim down her legs and he pulls up her dress. And then his upper hands, they do start doing that tweedledee, tweedledum on her nipples. And then his claspers come out and he grabs onto her hips and she's like, oh my God, like everything about this is incredible. We have been shortchanged. (laughs) Yeah. 
And so she's like, I don't, oh my God, everything is wonderful and this is so good. And so then he takes off the dress and she raises her arms and she's like very into it. And then he says, you're mine. I'm claiming you now. I have, oh my God. Okay, so wait. So he says, I'm claiming you. And then as this happens, he turns her around. He puts her hands above her head and he spinnerets the shit out of her hands. And then he looks her dead in the fucking face and he says, I have conquered you and now I am claiming you. Yes. And then the shibari happens. This is a wedding I can get behind. (laughs) Human weddings are bullshit. Bullshit. (laughs) So, so, oh, also while, while she was turned around, she did feel something like hard and slick. And when she turns around, she sees like, she sees his anatomy for the first time. And, We have to describe this spider penis before we go any further because he is all black and he has these purple and white accents and his, his cock is like, so it's, it's oblong, like, you know, it's phallic, right? It's got two little nodules at the base, but then it goes from thinner at the base to wider at the head. And there's like a two inch slit at the top that never really gets explained, but contextually it's magic. It's also purple. Did I say that out loud? Because I blacked out while I was describing it. It's purple. No, nope, yeah. no, nope, you missed that part. Okay, it's I, purple. It was it's not purple in my purple. brain yet. <laughs> so the Shibari. So now we're at Shibari. Okay, Sierra, am I right about this? In my brain, she has her hands above her head. Her back is like, pull, like her rib cage is pulled up and her legs are pulled back and splayed back, right? So she's almost like a backward C. Yeah, that's kind of how I read it. But with, yeah, her thighs spread and tied as well. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, her arms are crossed at the wrists and then her thighs are bound with the silk open. And all of this he does on the fly. Like he binds her with the silk he's making in the moment. It's so hot. (laughs) Promise of the premise. Promise promise of the premise. Possibly. Give me a spider and not do this so that they like this is such a good way of doing it. Like the wrist thing that is so hot. The wrist thing. So it's like she's on his web, you know, like it's like she's trapped on a spider web. (laughs) Junior Uh, High Jenny is delighted. (laughs) Okay. And now, okay. So we've got, we've got claspers on her hips. Mm -hmm. We've got arms all over the place, right? And then he's like, I need to really explore your sweetness with in the the best way I possibly can. And so we get this cunnilingus scene in which his long purple tongue is just doing swirly gigs all over the place. He's also penetrating her with a long purple tongue. And then his mandibles with their sharp fangness are like rasping against her thighs and ass. And so she's got all of these like conflicting sensations that are just fat. What? They they render me speechless. Words. And so she does come hard, <laughs> you know. And then and then it's his turn. It's their it's their turn. It's their time to to really get together. So he stands up, he's got his claspers around her hips, he's got his his hands around her his lower hands around his ass, and then he takes his upper hand and he grabs the nape of her neck and like pulls her hair. And he looks her dead in the face and he says something about her being his again. And it really hit me in id places I didn't really even know I had. And then he enters her. And because of spider anatomy, 
he he doesn't think like spiders apparently like they really have to dominate the lady and the the guys are littler and so it's hard and so he's expecting her vagina to fight his entrance oh wait wait (laughs) is there a moment here where she asks him what's happening there's a moment where we get where we get like this there's a moment where she's like katan what's going on and then she looks scared and so he says do you trust me and she says yes and so they like they have this verbal check-in that's really, really good because she is tied up and they never talked about it. So it like the it's sort of Dubcon, but also I wasn't not at sitting all. here worrying about no, that. I'm I, gonna I just want that. listener to know. Okay, then he enters her, all right? And he fucks her real good. So she comes twice, like just on his cock, but then when he comes, Jenny, when he comes. She gets this like, yeah. Tell tell me everything, Sierra. Sierra's doing a hand motion. <laughs> There's a quivering hands vibration when a Rick's mail comes, and so she has this like vibration right at her cervix yes. as oh. he comes, and it lasts a while. Like it's not just like a momentary like buzz, and then what was that? It lasts quite a while because I think it makes her come again. Yes, it makes her come again. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And she describes like the the penis getting like even wider. So I think that two inch slit mm-hmm. is like something something's coming out of there, and tickling her up real good, and vibrating all to hell. And I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> and so they go to bed, and they do wake up. And I know we're about an hour in, so we gotta wrap it up. But I can't I can't skimp on this part. I'm sorry. Okay, so he's gone when she wakes. But the den is all different because he's built her an entire, like, four-poster bed nest situation that hadn't been there before. Because apparently mates sleep in bougie beds. (laughs) So he comes back, and she's all awkward, and she's like, oh, hi. And he's like, hi. And he, like, does a nuzzle on her neck. And she's like, oh, he's never been affectionate like this. And then she asks him, what the fuck happened? And he's like, I made it. We made it. Like, were you confused about the mating? (laughs) And she was like, no, but like, it was just sex, though, right? And he says, um, hold on, I just have to read it to you. I want this author to be my friend. And it's a duo. It's a duo. It's a husband and wife team. Oh, man. Because it really sounds like they went for it. They did. I know. And I was thinking about like, that is, it's such an itty book to partner with someone to write. like Especially your spouse. Yeah. Yeah. My husband has no idea until a book is finished. (laughs) Totally. What's going to come out. (laughs) There's like a radical intimacy to that of like being able to be like, no, wait, what if? And then be like, (laughs) fuck yeah. And then build on that. Yeah. All right. So I found it. So he's like, we made it. And then she's like, you can't, you can't just decide that by yourself. And he's like. As I bound you, we are now bound. Our threads are entwined. He crossed uh, two fingers of his hand. They are as one. We are as one. And so she argues with him more. And then he looks at her and he says, the eight willed that I find you, he growled. And from the moment I saw you, touched you, scented you, I knew you were mine. None have gone to that dark place but me. None could have found you but me. Because you were always meant to be mine, Ivy. All my searching has been for you. Though I did not know it, and all your waiting was for me. 
And she's like, but you're Vricks and I'm human. And he says, you are my female, my mate, my Nylea, my heart's thread. And then he literally says to her, if I need to conquer you again, I will do it as many times as I need to. And so he reaches down and he's like, I can smell your desire. I can feel you already getting wet for me. And she's like, yeah, I am. And so with all of his appendages, he just picks her up and starts fucking her right there. And <laughs> and by the end of it, she's like, you're right. Oh, and then he and then he does the say your mind, say your mind thing. And she's like, I'm yours, I'm yours. And it's the best. It's the Oh my God. I that's one of those things that I just love so much. And I know that it's not for everyone, but the like, I'll fuck all doubt right out of your system. Like I read a book once that was, uh, it was a dub con role play book. And it was about a couple, like a marriage in trouble. And the wife was like, um, I want a divorce. And her husband was like, I'm going to fuck the divorce right out of you. And then that's, that's the book. And it, goes there and it's so good it's katie porter is the author oh it's from that top gun series right yes yes yeah that's amazing anyway it's not for everyone but it always works for me (laughs) if it's for you it's like oh yeah it works for ivy too (laughs) so by the end of this there's a scene where she teaches him to kiss and that turns into more fucking it's great stuff and then the rest of it basically sets up the next book they go down into the pit And they see the rest of the people like he takes her there finally because he literally thinks to himself like, no, we're bound. I fuck her so good. She will not leave me for anybody, even a human, maybe especially a human. So like, it's fine if I (laughs) take her to her people again. It's really cute. And then he ends up, you know, killing someone down there. It's a whole thing. And it sets up the next book. (laughs) And so this one ends on like a cliffhanger, right? Kind of. Yeah, I would say that it's sort of a, uh, it's a stopping place. So it's not as much of a cliffhanger as say, like, you know, Kennedy Ryan, the King's duet, Kingmaker duet kind of cliffhanger where someone has like literally just been kidnapped, which is also a cliffhanger that I have ended on. Yes, Uh, you have, madam. (laughs) Yeah, I love how you're like, you know, not like Kennedy does. Yeah, (laughs) Kennedy with her cliffhangers. I've never done that. Um, So it's not like a Kennedy and Sierra cliffhanger. It's uh, more of a the queen is a problem that is going to remain and I'm going to have to do something about it. And I do wonder, there are other humans in the that are still alive in these cryopods. And so I think if they wanted, you know, they could continue on the series with other characters. I feel like they have to. They've set up three of his friends. Yes. Um, They've set up his sister. Yes. Like, this is a world that needs to be explored. Yes. yes. But I'm I demand it. it. I need it. So do we know, does the second book still follow Ivy and Catan, or is it? I think it does, and I think it comes out in December. Yeah, it might come out November. sooner than that, they said. But right now, the, okay. the placeholder is December. Yeah. So yeah, this <sighs> this book was magic. Sierra, thank you so much. That was a fucking delight. Even not having read it, I that just brought me so much joy. It is so delicious. And what I love about it is that it really w- could work for so many people. Like, I think the wild parts really work for people who love wild parts and who love 
unflinching, you're mine, you know, she's mine kind of talk. Uh, and then I think for people who, you know, they they like their bonkers, maybe with a few ice cubes in it, or, you know, they like a splash of tonic water in their gin. This is the kind of book that really um, opens itself up to people who aren't used to wild books or who don't love every kind of wild trope. Completely. Uh, so it's really, it breathes a lot of readers in and out, I think, which mm-hmm. is good. Yeah, a lot of it is very soft and very welcoming and very, it's very comforting. A lot of their scenes together are cute and funny and comforting. And it's, yeah, it's, it does, it does, every, it does everything. It really does. For, for me, it did everything for me. Yeah, definitely. So <sighs> if, let's, let's shift into uh, some aftercare. Yeah. If I didn't, you know, we just did some, some <laughs> spider boning. It was excellent. It seems like we're, it's good aftercare. It's just some petting and, you know. <laughs> It's cuddling. Nobody's crying. There will be a silk blanket that you're ensconced in. It will be made from his bread. (laughs) While you're eating your sugary mushrooms. He has so many (laughs) skills. Like, can make dress, can weave silk for dress. I know. Can rip throats out, can lasso wild creatures, shibari. Cunnilingus. Do you remember that children's book Hatchet where it's like this person crash lands in Canada or somewhere and they have to like, it it kind of scratched that itch of like, I've been cast away and now I have to eat mushrooms and I have to make my own house and I have to weave my own blankets. Like he's that kind of character who's like, I can do everything. I can get food for the winter and I can defend my home. Uh, So yeah, it's very hot. Yeah. Yeah. Into it's really it. Really great stuff. Okay. But so if if you were making a rec for aftercare, something else somebody might read that either is in the same vein or is just a delight, what would you suggest? So the other book that I devoured around the same time scratches so many different itches. It's another, I would say it's pretty bonkers, pretty wild. Uh, and so it's probably the kind of wild that people should check out content warnings for. Okay. But it's, uh, Victor by Theodora Taylor, and it sets off a trilogy. Um, And the premise of the trilogy, which is, um, I don't want to spoil too much, but the sort of premise of the trilogy is these two characters fell in love when they were teenagers, and they promised each other that they would get married. And then because of like, organized crime, shenanigans, uh, he thinks that she's betrayed him and they don't get married. And then 10 years later, he gets out of like prison or something. And he's like, you owe me marriage and you owe me 10 years of it starting today and kidnaps her. (gasps) So (laughs) the first book kind of follows the first part of that premise. But I always like to tell people that's where it's going because the first the first book is a little bit more uh, gentle, I guess, (laughs) in that it's sort of setting up this relationship. Um, But I, I loved it. It was so much fun. So it's a trilogy uh, in Kindle Unlimited. And it's one of those books that you just read so fast because you cannot believe what you're reading in the best kind of way. How fun. Yes. Yeah. So that's like, that's sort of more of like an organized crime. The hero is vaguely sociopathic, but in a really sexy way, (laughs) kind of id. So yes. Victor. Theodore Taylor. Nice. Excellent. Mel, do you have one? Yeah. So I'm not all the way through it yet, but um, I'm reading the arc of A Lot Like Adios by Alexis Daria. Oh. And it should come out right around the time this episode drops and like, you need it, you want it. I don't always love a second chance romance, and this is just 
doing it perfectly. And, you know, I mean, if you've read anything Alexis has written before, I can't I can't recommend it highly enough. So, yeah, a lot like Adios. <laughs> I'm so excited. It. Yeah. It has a gorgeous cover, too. God, it has a gorgeous cover. Oh, yeah. Cover. That cover is, is gorgeous. Um, I, I feel like if you are one of the five people who hasn't started watching Ted Lasso yet, <laughs> I'm just going to be another person to bully you into doing it because... It is. And I even swore the second season. I was like, I'm not doing one a week. Like, I, I'm i going to save them all up and watch them all at once. And damn it, if I don't, like, get to Friday and be like, oh, my God, it's Ted Lasso Day. It's Ted Lasso Day. Oh! And I just get this, like, nugget of perfection on a Friday <laughs> evening to, like, tie up my week and lighten my mood and make the world seem like a better place and then I can like go on with my work or whatever I'm doing. But it is just a fucking delight. It's nice. wonderful. I heard uh, Ted described as a manic pixie dream dad. And I, I was like, yes, oh. that's, that's what it is. Our manic pixie dream dad. And if anyone listening is like an aspiring writer or, uh, you know, not aspiring and writing present day, I think that it's kind of like a masterclass and how to construct a story and how to mm. build characters. And so the writing in it is so sharp and yet soft at the same time. The characters are so unexpectedly complex. You meet these characters in season one, episode one, and you think you know who all of them are. You know, like Keely is a character that I was like, well, I know everything I need to know about Keely right away. And I should have known better because within a few episodes, I was proved completely wrong. And all of the characters are like that. And they have this depth that I, I can't imagine any other show would be able to give that kind of depth to those characters. So it's genius. Yeah, it is just magic. It's <laughs> something special. So yeah. that's mine. Yay. Um, and this will be coming out probably right after Saint has come out. <gasps> but why don't you tease us with Saint? Okay, oh so Saint is the next standalone uh, in the priest universe. So I wrote this book called Priest. It's about a priest. You guys have you you know about it because yeah, you talked yeah. about We've it, read it on your yeah, podcast yeah. twice. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, and that main character has all of these sort of like misbehaving brothers. So we see one brother in Center, and now mm. we have another brother in Saint. But this misbehaving brother has stopped his misbehaving, and he has become a monk. And he's on the verge of taking his final monk vow. So he's been a monk for about five years. Uh, and then his ex-boyfriend uh, comes to his monastery to say, I'm getting married. And I just wanted to tell you because closure and then leaves. And then it turns out that there's no closure for anyone <laughs> because they both still deeply love each other. And so uh, it ends up being a little bit of a forks, forced proximity story. His ex-boyfriend goes on a medieval monastery European road trip uh, with the monk as he's sort of touring these different European monasteries to see which one he wants to like transfer to. So they go to Belgium and they go to these Irish sea cliffs and they go to the south of France and oh have gosh. sex and all the lavender. So yes. it's very sexy, even for me, I think, but it's also very uh, emotional, even for me. I was surprised after I finished <laughs> writing it. I was like, I think that I 
had a lot more angst inside of me than I thought I was capable of. Uh, and this is coming from the person who wrote the new Camelot trilogy. I like, uh, I yeah. knew that I was <laughs> capable of some level of emotion, but I really ratcheted it up in this one. So oh. apologies in advance, everyone. <laughs> oh, no. Sounds like we're going to need aftercare for that, too, in the best way. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I try to make it better with, like, beer and, you know, blowjobs and stuff. Yes. But <laughs> It's very yes. emotional. <laughs> and that cover. I feel like if anybody looks at that cover, yeah, oh. and doesn't immediately like clue into the vibe of the book, then I yes. don't know what to tell them. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I that's why I picked that image because I was like, that's it. Like that's the that's the face you're gonna make when you read the book. So oh. <laughs> that's really that's exciting. It. But we trust you by now. Like, we know we're getting our happy ending. So that's so much pressure. Maybe you shouldn't trust me. I don't know if I'm trustworthy, but I hope so. For a second, I thought that face was you saying you don't know if it's a happy ending. And I was like, Sierra, no. It is happy. I just put you through a lot to get there. But it is happy. That's fine. I want to earn it. Make Uh us work for it. (laughs) I guess that's on brand for me is to make the people work for the happily ever after. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You got to make them hurt a little bit. We love that about you. Yeah, I like it when you phrase it like that. That's what I'm doing. It's just a kinky thing. I just want them to hurt a little bit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Count on me to frame that for you. (laughs) That's what I thought earlier when we were talking about like leaning in as an author and having that bravery and whatever. And I feel like I want to be the little devil on every writer's shoulder where it's like, I am your audience of one and I don't give a fuck what yeah. you're writing. I am your person. Yeah. Like, I, I will be, you want to write spiders? I am here for it. <laughs> you want to try and sell us on incest? Do the I thing. I will write like, it. You know, Jenny Nordback is going to be sitting there like, fuck yeah, do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, love that. Same. Same. Yeah. <laughs> We yeah. we're I mean, on very we've basically just wavelengths. started <laughs> a podcast to be the devil on your shoulder. It's be, true. Like, oh my God. Give us more of these books. Let's celebrate Use them until them. everybody else is on board and the market follows. I love <laughs> it. I love it. I'm so here for it. I'm so here for it. Yeah. So thank you for being the poster child and, you know, in some ways kicking this off for Mel and I. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. It's so perfect. <laughs> Um, If people were going to find you online, where's the best place to do that? Uh, So I would say probably Instagram is the one that I log on to the most. Uh, I'm at the Sierra Simone. Um, If you're just looking for updates, you don't want to see pictures of like, I don't know, the beer I'm drinking or whatever. uh, My Facebook page has all of my current sales and new releases. And I also always recommend that people sign up for my newsletter, which you can find that uh, sign up on my website, the Sierra Simone. Simone.com. Uh, that's where you're guaranteed uh, to hear about sales and new releases and what I'm working on next. So yeah. Awesome. Love it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And it was so nice to meet you. It was so nice to meet you. That bond with you over spider peens. Purple. <sighs> I'm cutting it right there. I'm cutting yeah. it right here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Bonkers Romance. Make sure you follow us on whatever podcasting app you're on right now, because next week 
We are recapping The Lady and the Orc by Finley Fenn with Naima Simone. (laughs) (laughs) If you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a rating and a review. It really helps other listeners to discover us so we don't get buried by the internet algorithms. (laughs) Yeah. And... Tell two friends about us because word of mouth is even better. I was about to say something about sharing is caring when it comes to purple spider penises. I mean, (laughs) that too. You can support us by heading over to the Temple of Defiant Joy on our website at bonkersromance.com slash temple. By joining us, you support Jenny and I. You get the final episode of each month, bonus content, the Bonkers Book Club, videos, art, and so much more, starting at as little as $5 a month. And we're really proud of our website. You can use it to ask about advertising rates. You can recommend books that we should suggest that guests should recap. You can apply to be a spotlight author through the Bonkers Romance Book Club, all kinds of stuff. And if you want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, we're at Bonkers Romance on both. You not only get video snippets and other things, but the reading list. And then we also have a Facebook group. It's called The Bonkers Romance Altar of Defiant Joy. And we hope it is just as joyful as the community is going to be. You know what else I hope? (gasps) What, Jenny? I hope that you will email us at bonkersromance at gmail.com. Send us crazy stories. Send us screenshots of really crazy purple spiner penis descriptions. Or um, anything else. Anything else <laughs> where it comes up and you're like, Jenny and Melody need this in their lives. Ugh. The Bonkers Romance community needs this in their lives. If it's a ridiculous meme, whatever it is, tag us on social media. But also, if you want to do it privately, feel free to shoot us an email at bonkersromance at gmail.com. So you have fun reading your next Bonkers Romance. And remember, there's beauty in bravery.